Welcome to the Sem Says Podcast, where seminarians speak about what's said at the Sem. I'm your host, Andrew St. Dennis, and today I'm gathered by three of my esteemed brother seminarians who are part of what is called the Legion of Mary. Uh, we'll talk about what that is uh, later on, but we're here today to speak to you about Marian devotion and the rosary. So I'd ask you guys to introduce yourself. If you could say uh, your name, what diocese you're from, what year you are, and what were you doing before you entered seminary? I'm going to start it off with Dom Winter. That's me, Dominic Winter, Diocese of Lincoln, Theology 3. Before seminary, I was homeschooled. I went to Christendom College for a year, which is also kind of like being homeschooled. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then I went to seminary right after that. Awesome. Hi, my name is Kevin Kelly. I am from the Diocese of Arlington, First Theology. And before this, I worked as an IT technician for about seven, eight years. Very cool. Hello, I'm Dominic Civitella with the Diocese of Allentown. I'm pre-theology one. And before seminary, I worked at Lowe's and I went to college. Very cool. Well, thank you guys for being here today. First, I'd like to start off by asking you a question that we hear a lot as seminarians, you know, whether it be from our friends who are non-Catholic or from grade school kids or even high school kids or even grown adults who, you know, just want to grow deeper in their faith. What is Marian devotion and why do we have to have a devotion to Our Lady? Well, I think that, first of all, when Christ was on the cross, I don't think he was making living arrangements. You know, he just forgot and was like, hey, Mary, um, here's your son, St. John, and St. John, here's your mother, Mary. I think really he wants us to fulfill what he gave to St. John was a mother, behold thy mother, and that's what he gives to all of us, and we have to respond like the disciple and bring her into our home. And I think that a lot of the Marian saints, especially de Montfort, will say that she is the surest and quickest and easiest way to Jesus. That's really well said, yeah. Uh, there's other scripture passages, too, that you know speak that we ought to have a Marian devotion. There's, all generations will call me blessed. That's what Mary said in her own Magnificat. There's Mary at the wedding feast of Cana when she says, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus does his first miracle because Mary said that. Jesus even said, this isn't my time yet. It hasn't come. And why hadn't it come? Because Mary hadn't asked him yet. She hadn't, if you will, given him permission. So like someone with that kind of power, it's Jesus' will that we become devotees of Mary because she has that kind of power, that kind of queenship in, in the kingdom of heaven. Well, one, one final thought just to add to that. Whenever we talk about Our Lady is that we can think about the church and vice versa. Whenever we think about the church, we can really talk about Our Lady as well. This has practical application to us. You know, we live, try, trying to live as members of you know, Christ's body, members of the church. We have Our Lady as a beautiful example, kind of an, a paragon of how the Christian life is to be lived. You know, of course, our Lord Jesus is our main example, our main, you know, he's the one that we strive to be conformed to, but uh, sometimes that can be a little daunting, trying to, you know, act like God. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Our Lady is, is com- completely human, born of human parents. And so when we look to her, that can really make it a lot easier to realize, oh, you know, if she did this, like maybe I can do this too. One of the uh, things with this devotion to St. Joseph this year, with the year of St. Joseph and the consecration of St. Joseph, that a lot of the seminarians are doing, it's talking about like becoming part of the Holy Family to become a devotee of St. Joseph. Well, definitely part of that is becoming a devotee of Mary. 
And that's Jesus' will for us, is to become part of that holy family. Yeah, and that's kind of what the church is, and that's what we're called to do. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Thank you very much, guys. So as seminarians, one of the things that all of us, at least I'd say almost all of us, do is we pray the rosary daily. I was talking to a friend of mine from college. This was last year, just a couple months into into seminary formation for myself. And I told him that I pray the rosary every day along with, you know, all of my brother seminarians. His immediate response was, how in the world do you pray a rosary every day? You know, it takes so long. It It's boring sometimes, you know. Um, as one of our professors here says lovingly, sometimes it just feels like it's the biggest waste of time. Could you explain to us why pray it every day as well as why isn't it the biggest waste of time. So the rosary saved my life, and I think that's a good enough reason. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no kidding. So let me see. Uh, without getting into too much detail, the rosary is responsible, Mary is responsible for my reversion, being a cradle Catholic, falling away from the faith, being a man of the world during college. And the rosary brought me back um, when during a time when my mind was very restless and very in a dark spot. And I just prayed for peace of mind, and it felt like a waste of time. And it wasn't necessarily fun, but something in me, maybe grace, was telling me to, you know, this is my last chance. This is my last, like, ditch effort. So I started praying it almost every day, and I just prayed for peace of mind. And the results came so quickly um, and that really set me on the path to a reversion and then also being in seminary. So I kind of owe everything to our mother. And isn't that what mothers do? Yeah, really? How long ago was that? That was May or June of 2019. So not too long ago. Wow. So going off of your point about being cradle Catholic, I also grew up as a cradle Catholic. And if you've ever gone to daily mass and shown up a little early or, or stayed late, you probably had that experience of that group of people that are there praying the rosary, and you've, you you pretty quickly tell they've been there like every day doing this every day. Well, that was my family growing up. <laughs> I mean, we we I mean, really, I grew up praying the daily rosary. So for me, the question of you know how do you pray the rosary every day is well easy. I've done that for you know just about thirty two years of my life now, not you know nonstop. My parents both had a big devotion to Our Lady, to the Rosary, and they instilled that in us from an early age. It didn't matter if it was just a quiet evening at home or if we were in the middle of driving to or from whatever place we were you know, visiting, Steubenville, Ohio, Christendom College, um, even just you know, the annual work gala for Christmas every year. We always made sure we would pray the Rosary. And so for me, it's just always been very natural, very just fostered in me as a habit. And there, you know, I did have to come to terms with that and accept that for myself of, hey, like, I don't have to pray this because my parents aren't around anymore when I'm in college. Like, I can choose to do it or not. But like, I quickly realized, no, this is really important and I should do it. So for me, it's just been a habit, but one that I've chosen, embraced, and just continued to do. Beautiful. One practical note on saying the rosary, and a lot of people don't do this terribly well, but the rosary is meant to help us meditate on the mysteries of Christ. And no one is going to say seriously that that's a waste of time. No one will say that. Meditating on the mysteries of Christ is the greatest thing ever. So if we do that during while we're praying the repetitive Hail Marys and Our Fathers, then the rosary becomes 
the greatest thing ever. So it's tough. It's not easy to do, and I'm not very good at it either. But um, but that's what the rosary is meant to be, is meditation on the passion of Christ. So, and, that, and that's really where its power comes in. Father Calloway talks about that in his book, Champions of the Rosary. He tells the story of how the rosary came to be prayed, and he, he details the history of how the praying of the rosary originally came from the praying of the psalms. There were 150 psalms, and the monks would pray all 150 psalms every day. Well, for the for the lay folk, you know that the, many of them were illiterate; they didn't know how to do it. But they could pray the Our Father or the Hail Mary 150 times, and so they would have long strings with beads or knots in them, and they would just pray 150 Our Fathers or Hail Marys. You know, just as a devotional exercise, trusting that you know this was bringing them into prayer, into relation with you know our Lord. But Father Calloway mentions how Saint Dominic received from Our Lady not just this formula of prayer but rather a style of prayer. So Our Lady helped him to form these 150 Hail Marys into decades and associated each decade with a mystery of Christ's life. And that's where the power and the efficacy of the rosary really comes, is from that attempt to dive deep into the mysteries of Christ's life. That's what we do when we read the scriptures. We're you know, ultimately penetrating the mysteries of God and especially the mysteries of Christ. And that's exactly what the rosary is. The formal prayer is important, and it is a part of it, but it, that formal prayer becomes familiar, repetitive, and allows us to relax and draw us into a deeper meditation. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Dom Winter, you brought up a, an interesting point and almost touched on the, the question I had in mind for bringing up, because you said that meditating upon the mysteries of Christ's life is never a waste of time. You know, that's time growing in a deeper relationship with our Lord growing in a deeper understanding of his life and his love for us, and especially for the love of each individual one of us. But it's very easy to get distracted, as almost everyone knows that has ever prayed the rosary. I heard this saying, I forget where I've heard it, but I've also heard it about the Mass, is that we pray the rosary every day, or you know, if you're a priest, you pray the Mass, or if you're a layperson, you attend Mass every day. Just so that way, hopefully, one time in your life, you get it. You know, one time, it's it's good. You know, it's it's a worthy rosary. And that struck me deeply that I'm going to put as much of my own effort into it. God's going to supply the rest. But I also came to the uh, understanding and the realization that I myself am a broken man that cannot do it all on my own. And so I can't try and perfect it. But at the same time, I can try to at least concentrate and meditate with that. And I was wondering if you guys have any tips on how to better meditate or focus while praying the rosary. You know, St. Therese has some beautiful uh, thoughts and reflections on prayer and the seeming futility of it. You know, she talks about how she would sit down to do her holy hour or to pray a rosary or to do any number of pious exercises and almost immediately fall asleep, only to wake up right at the end of the period. And this brought her some consternation, and she you know, had to reflect on this and this phenomenon. But she realized that you know, the power came, first of all, in her perseverance, and second of all, in her willingness to just enter into it and engage in it, trusting in our Lord and that he saw her. He saw her as his beloved child, and that whatever she tried to do out of love for him would be more beautiful you know, in his eyes just for the, her willingness to do it rather than for how well it may have turned out. She even likens it to the image of a child who comes up to her father and says, do you mind if I come and just 
you know, sit on your lap or fall asleep while you work. What parent isn't going to hear that and just be in such awe and love for this child who just wants to spend time with them? St. Therese, you know, has a very powerful message of, you know, why strive for just that one perfect rosary? Why not trust that every rosary you say, no matter how dull, how vapid, how pointless it seems, how much time seems to be wasted, it's time you're giving to God. Like, why not trust that he wants that time and just is so happy that you're willing to give it to him? Yeah. So often during during prayer, uh, when I go in like with a plan, like this is what I want to do right now, I get all self-confident and that sort of thing. And I close off, close off to the work of the Spirit because the, the Lord God loves to raise up the lowly. And it's crazy like how often he does that. It happens all the time and in history, yeah, but then also just in, in the personal life. It's when I'm like, you know, God, I, I, I have something I want. And there's no way, there's no way I'm going to be able to get it. And those are the times when he, he really speaks because I'm actually listening. So that, I guess the same thing could, could happen with the rosary to remind yourself that you, you aren't going to do it. No way. No how. This is the mysteries of Christ. You aren't <laughs> going to get to the bottom of it. No, you're going to get to heaven someday and you still won't get to the bottom of it. Those wounds are so deep. You'll just keep going and going deeper and deeper. So, so to have that sort of attitude towards the rosary, towards the mass, that... God supplies the depth. And I think on a simple note, when you find yourself distracted during the rosary, don't beat yourself up. Just say, oh, okay, I'm distracted right now. Well, let me get back to the mystery at hand. Always when I start to dwell on how I'm not praying this rosary well, it just makes the rosary kind of, or it makes my disposition even worse because I'm just like, oh, well, now I'm reflecting on how I'm not reflecting on the on the mysteries. <laughs> it's just like it's an endless cycle. So that's just a practical note. But also, before you start praying the rosary, you can just ask for the grace of concentration or ask for the grace of, Mary, you know, reveal your interior life to me as I'm, as I'm praying these mysteries. Or just turn your head to God and, and internally gaze and just try to be in his presence. And then I think a lot of what both of you have said will um, bear fruit because of that. Yeah, and just a further thought in terms of, you know, how do I practically go about praying this? You know, these are all great ideas, great notions, but you still might want to sit down and just be like, okay, how do I pray a more effective rosary? And really, physical aids are quite helpful to that. There's a reason that, you know, we not we don't just talk about the rosary, but we hand out rosary beads. We hand out something physical. There's something about the motion of going from bead to bead that is actually helpful and conducive to prayer. Likewise, there are a lot of different resources, pamphlets and the like, that help you reflect on the mysteries of the rosary. Some give you a short scripture meditation. Others will give you fruits, virtues, or other things to desire and to seek in prayer as you're praying through the mysteries. And, I mean, heck, grab a Bible, crack it open, look at, you know, Matthew 1-2, Luke 1-2 if you're in the joyful mysteries, look to the end of the Gospels for the sorrowful, look to um, Acts of the Apostles for some of the glorious like just go to the source and you know look at the text of the of the New Testament as you're praying the the scriptures sometimes even for the Old Testament because you ask well where is the assumption where is the you know coronation you're not going to find those in the New Testament and actually I've seen a lot of really innovative and creative uses of even the Old Testament and one of my favorite sections is I think it's Judith 16 it's definitely towards the end of the book of Judith where they just sing um, this hymn of praise to this faithful Israelite woman who has saved them from the enemy. And they say, you know, you are the fairest honor of our race. 
And I love to meditate on that with the coronation. And so even there in the Old Testament, the, the New Testament is bound up in the Old. We can see and pull on things because ultimately that tells us about the church and, of course, as well about Our Lady. Yeah, I remember growing up, we we had these booklets called the, the it was called the Rosary Album. Each Hail Mary had a different picture, you know, all they're all kind of block print pictures, very beautiful, and had a scripture verse with each picture. So you can't use it every single day for your whole life necessarily because, you know, everything gets could get old if you don't think about it in the right way. But uh, it was so helpful just to have to go through an album almost with your mother uh, about her life and to go through the scripture that she could have been thinking at that very moment. It was so cool. So the rosary album, is it, it was really neat. Nice. Nice. Awesome. One last kind of practical thing, especially for someone who currently does not pray the rosary daily, and they're just trying to get into the habit of even just picking up the rosary. Something that I had done in my own life was wake up in the morning, eat breakfast, pray one decade of the rosary. Some other time during the day, pray another decade. You know, I didn't have to get through all five in that day. It was just let me let me get into the rhythm of praying these Hail Marys and our fathers and glory bees just to to know it, to actually have the beads in my hand and begin to grow an appreciation for what it is. It's almost like weightlifting. You don't walk into a weight room and then you go pick up the hundred pound, you know, dumbbell and try and curl it. You're gonna destroy your bicep. Like that <laughs> bicep. That thing is just going to blow up. You know, you're not gonna even be able to get it up. It's just gonna hurt and you're gonna, you know, hurt yourself and look dumb doing it you know so you go in you pick up the five pounder and you you start working your way up and i heard an interview with a dominican priest who is in charge of increasing devotion to the rosary i forget his official title all he said was just carry a rosary in your pocket and at any moment throughout the day just pick it up pray a couple of the prayers put it back in your pocket but always know that whenever you need the smallest thing or someone comes up to you and asks for prayers or you're going through a tough situation, from the most minor situation to the most major situation, you just pick it up and just start praying. And you don't have to do every single prayer. Just just start. you got to start somewhere. That's beautiful. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, that's a really good method. Yeah. Especially because, uh, you know, a decade of the rosary takes three to five minutes. It's like... That's not much. You can totally do three to five minutes exactly. for one decade, and that's a good start. Yeah. For the attentive listeners that are very keen to hearing the small sounds, you might have been hearing a slight like jingling sound a bit. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit, but stick into our, our theme of Mary. Talk about Mary and consecration. Dominic Winter in front of me here has, has a chain around his wrist, so it's been uh, banging up against the table I don't know if you can hear it. I can hear it in my in my. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, there it is. There it is. So if they so, didn't hear it before, they'll hear it now. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you might have seen someone wearing a chain, where you wonder what is up with this person. Why do they have hardware around their wrist? So we'll just talk about what is Mary in consecration. Why should we consecrate ourselves to Mary, and what are the fruits of the consecration itself it'll change your life <laughs> short answer it's going to change your life if you go through it 
Yeah. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I already shared, you know, growing up in a family with a lot of Marian devotion and, you know, in college, I certainly, you know, sought in an active way to integrate that, make that a part of my life. But it wasn't until about six years after college that I came across true devotion to Our Lady. And I've re-encountered this idea of Marian consecration. Now, I'd actually seen it before, had done it in 11th grade. But when I was in high school, it was like you, you're doing all the devotions to cover all the bases. You know, a little bit of that <laughs> immature faith of if I do enough things, like I'll guarantee get into heaven. And so, but no, I had a chance from a more adult, mature perspective, really to have a a doctrine of Marian consecration, Marian theology in general, presented to me, and then a practical application, consecrate yourself to Mary. And it, I remember reading it all in the course of an afternoon. I just couldn't put it down, and I just thought, wow, like, I love Our Lady already, but this book just, like, really enkindled and inspired me to, like, take it the next step. And I actually am already consecrated to Our Lady, but, like, how am I living that? How am I em embracing that? So I took it up, and... Like literally that day started, the, you know, the, the 33 days to um, to March 25th, which is the day that St. Louis Marie de Montfort, the author of True Devotion to, to Mary, recommends. So it was very providential. I did it. It was wonderful. I decided, you know, from then on, I'm going to renew this consecration every year. Well, one year later, I was right about to finish my consecration. And then a priest told me in confession, hey, you should become a priest. And it started a, a <laughs> yeah. long, twisty road that led me to the seminary. So Marian consecration is powerful. It's amazing. It will change your life, but it will change your life. <laughs> yeah. Just to kind of backpedal a little bit, would one of the Dominics like to just explain what consecration is for those who are listening who you know, might have heard it or a little scared of it? Like, what is a consecration? That that sounds intense. Be very afraid. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a beautiful thing. The way that Louis de Montfort actually presents it, you might be scared by it, but it's not scary. He talks about it being a slavery to Mary, but that's it's not meant to be a scary thing. See, back in the day, a slave wasn't just someone that was oppressed. It was part of the household, someone that you couldn't get rid of because they lived with you. And that's what Louis de Montfort's going for. It's, it's becoming part of the household of God. And maybe the word slave isn't the best word in our modern mindset, but something like that. Someone that's part of the household, that shares in the riches of God's house, that makes himself so close to Mary that all his merits, anything good that the person does, small though it is, is put into her hands and then she gives it to Jesus, and Jesus loves that. I mean, Jesus loves his mother, right? So that's what consecration is, is to give every part of yourself, every action you do, into the hands of Our Lady, and then she gives it over to Jesus. Um, like, there, there isn't a quicker way than that. Mary's a mother. She's going to take whatever you've got because she loves you. And, uh, and Jesus, he sees Mary, the queen, and he's like, well, I guess I better take this. And he loves it too. And it's such a beautiful thing. So that's how I would explain it. Yeah. And I think this has a, a basis in scripture as well. When we see, I think it's Solomon, correct? I think it's, I forget what his name is. She, he goes to the queen and then she goes to Solomon. Solomon's, Solomon's mother goes to Solomon and he stands up and bows to her and, you know, asks what it is that she wants. And he grants it to her because, you know, she's the queen you know, she's his mother, and he's going to respect that. And that's kind of what, you know, Marian consecration is like. Uh, de Montfort has this little story where he says that it's like a peasant 
who gives an apple, which is all he has, to the queen, and the queen puts it on a gold dish and presents it to the king. And, of course, an apple is not a very fitting gift to the king, but since it comes from the queen and since it is on this gold dish and presented very nicely, um, you know, he accepts it graciously. And I think that while it might seem scary, it was scary to me when I first read uh, at first, I did 33 Days to Morning Glory by Father Gately, and then I did the De Montfort Consecration. Um, but when I read that all of my works and all my prayers and all of everything I, I, I did would go to Mary, it kind of scared me, like, well, what about what I want to pray for? What about what I want to do? But let's be real. I think I would rather have Mary deciding for me what I, what I <laughs> you know, what's done with my, with my works and merits. Um, and also, I think that there's uh, a beautiful reflection of on Judgment Day, or when you come before the Lord, you know, you come before the Lord, I hope I, I just, I get there and I have nothing, nothing at all. And he says, you know, what's the deal, Dom? Like, you're completely empty-handed. And I can just point to Mary and say, she's got it all, you know? Yeah, yeah that's, that's a beautiful reflection, beautiful summary. There's one thing that I picked up on just this past summer that if you've been paying attention, you kind of picked up on in this conversation. I was reading, I forget which book it was, by the venerable Fulton Sheen, and he does not say the name of Mary very often. Uh, He also doesn't say the name of Jesus either, but instead refers to them as, you know, refers to Jesus as our blessed Lord, and refers to Mary as either Our Lady or, I believe, also Our Blessed Lady. Would would one of you guys mind explaining, which I think you'll do okay with, because every time I said either of their names, you all bowed your heads. So maybe explain that practice as well. Uh, I imagine Fulton Sheen is just... Uh using a touch of reverence there because when we say someone's name it implies a sort of not control but if you say someone's name they'll often turn their head right it's it's a sort of a sort of control over them so sometimes it's respectful to use to use titles for our lord and our lady for jesus and mary uh, just so that we remember they're not just names they're the names of the son of god who saved the world and of his mother who hold, who has grace in her hands all graces through her hands so, so that's what I think Fulton Sheen is doing. Uh, also, back in that in that day, there was more of a grandiose character to to bishops and priests and liturgy and that sort of thing. So uh, he had a bit of uh, majesty to his language that we might not have as much of today, for better or worse. Well, thank you very much, guys. And to kind of tack on to the end of that, uh, to give Kevin, to give your diocese and your bishop a, a bit of a shout out. Over this past summer, he had apparently tweeted believe it was Bishop Burbage tweeted that there are certain times when you should bow your head, especially during the liturgy, where it's the name of our Lord, of Our Lady. You know, it's a saint's feast day. If the name of that saint is said, then you bow your head. Um, You know, nothing extreme, just a simple nod. Or in liturgy, the name of the Holy Father. Oh, and anytime the doxology or the three persons of the Holy Trinity are named together, you you bow your head. And if I remember the context of this tweet as a way of combating inappropriate language and vulgar language, but also at the same time 
while at the same time having a greater respect for that which is holy, that which we should hold to a much higher degree and remind ourselves that we are much lesser than them and much lower than them and that they deserve our respect, which I found very beautiful and helped tie up some loose ends for myself personally. Like, why? I mean, I've, I've been doing it, but why am I doing it? You know? So, yeah. Any last final thoughts from anyone? Yeah, just to, that's beautiful, Andrew. Thank you for sharing that. Just to follow up on that, that kind of ties in a little bit with this idea of, you know, slavery. De Montfort was, was so eager to make himself a slave to Our Lady because he trusted in Our Lady more than in himself um, to know what was best for him and what was right for him. And when we show this reverence, when we bow the head, at, certainly at the sacred name of our Lord Jesus, uh, or at the mention of the Trinity, or even at the mention of the other you know, saints, we really are acknowledging that there's a greater reality outside of ourselves, certainly the divine mystery, the divine majesty, that the name of which you know all bow, all bend the knee, but even also that we are part of a community that we love and that we reverence. And so showing that deference, showing that obeisance to those around us, you know, garners a respect, fosters a respect for the reality that we live in, that we are part of a community, a church, and that is a wonderful reality that draws us to encounter others and the importance that uh, they play in God's plan for self, you know, all of us. Yeah. And I think it also has an effect on you as well. When you start getting into the habit of bowing your head at these names, it kind of starts to really internalize the gravity of, you know, this is the Son of God, this is His Mother, um, this is the Holy Trinity, the Blessed Trinity. And I, I think for me, it's definitely helped with my devotion to the Blessed Trinity, to the Holy Family, and even to the saints as well, you know, kind of recognizing, you know, their, how, how honorable they are with the lives that they, they have led um, in Christ and in Mary. So it, it can also just be good for your own personal devotion. Great. I remember the last one that I forgot at the uh, mention of the incarnation, but that's at any time you would bow your head. Oh, one of my favorite things is when we actually genuflect at the oh, mention of the incarnation. I think I it's Christmas it. Mass. It's like you're just recognizing the reality that God has been born to us, a Savior has been given to us. And so when we pray the Creed at Christmas Mass, the whole Mass stops at the mention of the incarnation. Everyone takes a knee, if they're able to, of course, you know, others will bow if they're not able to, but just the majesty of that moment, recognizing that the awesome mystery that we're, we pray every, you know, every Sunday at Mass, we stop to recognize it and acknowledge it. And it's just it's so wonderful. I love that, that moment. Yeah. yeah. So any last thoughts from you? Um, you know, favorite books, devotionals, whatever it may be that has helped you grow in a deeper relationship with Our Lady? A very uh, practical resource um, are the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. We've already mentioned Father Michael Gately, MIC, with 33 Days to Morning Glory. We've mentioned Father Calloway. Really, the whole order, one of their big focuses is on spreading devotion to Our Lady. And they do a fabulous job of taking the rich history and tradition of the Church and presenting it in a way that's very accessible to you know today's Catholics. Very readable books, very you know up-to-date prayers that you can pray and not feel like, I feel like I'm a fifth century monk trapped in a monastery. <laughs> 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 uh, but they do a really good job. But they have just a solid 
strong devotion. They really want to spread you know, sincere devotion to our Lord, to Our Lady. And so uh, Marian Press has a number of books, a number of other resources. Maybe in your parish you'll, you'll see on the book stand various things by the Marian. So I highly recommend them. Recommend anything by Father Calloway, Father Michael Gately. So, yeah, that's a good place to turn. Awesome. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of St. Louis de Montfort. So that's what I was gonna say. Yes, there <laughs> is. The Doms, the Doms got can, it. Can I can I have say that too? <laughs> I don't know. It, it, is your name Dominic? <laughs> um, so I, I'm a big fan of uh, the Secret of the Rosary. Oh yeah. Um, that was that was actually one of the first books I read uh, during my reversion, um, and uh, it, it definitely helped see also the power of the Rosary. Um, and then of course you know true devotion is like my staple in terms of Marian devotion. So if you feel prepared for that, um, if you don't want to jump into that right away, um, De Montfort did a smaller work called The Secret of Mary, which is also very good. And it's kind of like almost like a primer to true devotion, um, which I found to be helpful um, if you want to get a little taste before jumping into the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Along with that, uh, St. Alphonsus Liguri wrote the book The Glories of Mary, which it's uh, it's not so much a devotional book as just giving like all the reasons why Mary is so cool. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the best books on Mary I've ever read. Um, so I would re- recommend that. Uh, one other thing I'd add: Can I talk about the Legion of Mary? Just for, oh just yeah, bit? I forgot all about yeah. it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. So the Legion of Mary, we meet uh, once a week every Sunday in the afternoon, and uh, we consecrate our weekly apostolate to Our Lady. That's, you know, kind of a first step to consecration to Our Lady or a continuation of it if you've already consecrated yourself. It's a way to live out that consecration. So, yeah, we meet every Sunday. We discuss our works on our apostolate and uh, consecrate them to Our Lady. We also pray the rosary. So it's a good way to live out your consecration to Our Lady and to grow in your devotion to the Holy Rosary. That's basically what we do. Each, each meeting is an hour or a little more on Sunday. And it's also a good way to foster community in our apostolate because we're doing Christ's work, and it's good to do it as one. I'm not a member of the Legion quite yet. I'm working on my way of entering right now. But during my apostolate last year, I actually got to work with um, some Legion members at the parish that I was assigned to at St. Mary's in Schwanksville here in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And what was really great was, like you said, they dedicate their apostolic works. So, you know, we would go out and visit families that they hadn't seen in a while, like that haven't been coming to Mass, come check in, make sure they're okay, uh, go visit the homebound, go, you know, whatever was needed in the community, they were the first ones there always. Um, even just going out and, you know, inviting people. They went went out and invited random strangers to come with them to Mass or to come to adoration with them. It was beautiful to see this total surrender that they had to the you know to god's will and the prayers of our lady um and i can't remember it off the top of my head maybe you guys do i'm not sure but there's a prayer before doing legion work if you guys don't know it off the top of your head uh, i highly recommend googling it it was a really beautiful prayer Uh, i have it in my desk upstairs yeah i think the legion of mary if there's one at your parish it's definitely worth taking a look at if there isn't one at your parish maybe talk about starting one at your parish so with that i'd like to thank you guys for joining me here today it's been an absolute blessing and a pleasure to be here with the three of you 
Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you for hosting us, Andrew. Yeah, and thank you for all of you who have listened uh, to the Sem Says podcast. If you could leave us a review and refer us to your friends, make sure you tweet it, Facebook it, email it, do whatever you do. Just get it out there. Try and spread the word. And as James has said in a previous podcast, smash the like button. Just smash it as hard as you can. And please know that we are all praying for you. God bless. God bless.